Back into the section YY8 podcast. I am your host and the creator of this show, Negative Niece. I am uh, in the section YY8 studios this week recording alone. This is going to be a solo show this week, unfortunately. Uh, Day Day Vol, too busy. Big Montana, too busy. Gavin, I don't know if we should put out an Amber Alert. For Gavin, he's not responded to a text message since uh, Monday or Tuesday in which he said, I can record Thursday, and I've sent messages today, which is Thursday night, um, is when we're recording this, but I've sent text messages today, yesterday. I I think I need to call the law and uh, either do a welfare check on Gavin or uh, put out an Amber Alert. And if I do put out an Amber Alert, I will wait till 3 or 4 in the morning so it wakes everyone up, so everyone's phone goes off in the middle of the night. Because that's the only time it seems that Amber Alerts go out. I don't know if you guys ever noticed that or not, but Amber Alerts only go out after midnight. You're asleep, probably got a nice dream going, maybe, maybe a nightmare. And your damn phone starts screaming at you in the middle of the night. I turn. I have two phones. I have a work phone and a personal phone. And I turn one of them off of that. I leave one of them on in case of severe weather. But, man, I was, I'm sick and tired of getting Amber Alerts at 3 o'clock in the morning. Like, what good is that going to do? Send it at 7 o'clock. Send it at 11 o'clock. Stop sending them at 3 in the morning. Uh, But anyways, uh, I will be recording on my own this week, so probably a short show, but wanted to get back in here and and get episodes out. There's people who want the episodes. I've been getting text messages from multiple people that they want to know why the show hadn't been on. Um, It's July. Vacations are going on. I was out of town a couple weeks ago. Um, I'll be out of town again here probably in three or four weeks, again, going to Chirac, uh, more than likely, so um, just busy time of year, but um, we got to get episodes out, guys. It's less than 35 days. I think we're at 34 or 33 days until Tennessee football kicks off, so it's it's getting down to serious time, and um, it's not that far off. I mean, we're less than a month almost now from, uh, well, getting close to less than a month. My math is off. I went to Carter. But, uh, you know, we're around a month away from kickoff. Ball State, Neyland Stadium, Thursday, September 1st, under the lights. The new stadium will open up, or the new renovations to the stadium, new video board, and what's left of Section YY8. Day Day Vol, Big Montana, and myself will have to turn our heads to the right and look upward to see what it looks like. But we'll always have the old jumbotron in the south end zone to look at and we'll have the new vols letters in the south end zone to look at but uh the south end zone needed a video board to look at so uh congrats to those guys south end zone's a nasty place 
If you've ever sat down there, you'll know what I'm talking about. But just a very nasty place. But good people down there. We're not we're not bashing the South End Zone. It's just nasty. Um, before we get into the Tennessee football talk, today was a sad day. This is Thursday, July 28th when I'm recording this. Today was a sad day in our country. Recession is here. But guys, seriously, don't worry. It's not that bad. It's just a transition. Um... GDP, the gross domestic product, shrunk last quarter by 0.9%. That follows the first quarter drop of 1.6%. So by definition, two consecutive quarters of negative GDP growth equals a recession. Now, the Biden administration, they, they won't ever admit fault on anything. So this isn't a recession. It's just a transition uh, to a recovery. Yeah, this isn't a recession like uh, the withdrawal from Afghanistan was a, a rousing success. Hunter Biden's laptop wasn't real. It's not real. That was just a conspiracy. Hey, guys, gas prices have dropped for 30-something days in a row, even though they're a dollar and 11 cents higher than they were this time last year. But hey, Joe's dropping the gas prices for you. He saved me $5.00 at the pump last month. Thanks, Joe. You're really helping me out. This administration is a total failure. They've not done anything right. Absolutely nothing right. The Afghanistan withdrawal was a total failure. Worse than Jimmy Carter pulling troops out of Iran back in 1979. The southern border is a disaster. Gas prices are soaring. Inflation is soaring. I went and ate lunch the other day and had a sandwich, a bag of chips, and a drink, and it was $13. $13 for a medium sub sandwich and a little mini bag of chips and a drink. And don't get me started on McDonald's. I was in a hurry last week and had to run into McDonald's real quick. For those in the Knoxville area, there's a McDonald's on Magnolia. Not the best part of town, but I was in the area, stopped in, got a cheeseburger and a fry and a uh, fountain drink. Drank about a quarter of it, went back up to the counter, and this is how bad the economy's getting. They would not give me a refill. It was their new policy. I went to the counter and I said, yeah, can you top me off? The kid said, no. I said, why not? He said, well, we remodeled and it's our new policy. So I just left the drink on the counter and walked out. Joe's making the United States of America a better place to live, work, and play every day, isn't he, guys? All right, Tennessee football news, Tennessee sports news. I had a lot of other stuff planned for the show this week, but obviously not going to happen without... Big Montana, Day Day Vol, and Gavin. Um, man, Section YY8 might be dying. We can't get anybody to come on the show. We can't get the co-host to even show up. Um, I'm not sure how much longer this show is going to last, guys. So um, hold tight to the Section YY8 episodes because they may be few and far and in between from here on out. Not sure what the future holds, but we're going to power through it this week. Um, 
since we recorded last, a lot of Tennessee news. Um, the NCAA allegations. You know, we knew that this was going to come out at some point from the Pruitt era, all the violations that got Pruitt fired and most of his staff. A lot of players left the program after the 2020 failure season, three and seven, just a total disaster. Um, but the NCAA has finally um, made notice to the University of Tennessee their allegations. 18 major rules violations um, happened during the Jeremy Pruitt era. Um, you know, Tennessee was able to fire Jeremy Pruitt and avoid paying a, a buyout, but um, the NCAA notified Tennessee last Friday of, le- of the Level 1 violations, which is the most serious the NCAA can put out. Uh, allegations include providing impermissible cash gifts and benefits worth about $60,000 to football recruits and their families under the Jeremy Pruitt regime. $60,000. $60,000 got us three freaking wins in 2020. Are you kidding me? That's how terrible Jeremy Pruitt was. And that's how mad I am at Gavin for not being on here this week because he hates Gump more than anybody. Derek Dooley's my number one public enemy. But Jeremy Pruitt is close, maybe 1A now, especially after reading some of this stuff last week. $60,000 in impermissible cash gifts and benefits, and we won three freaking games in 2020. That alone should be cause for a firing. Um... And this happened over a two-year period. It's not like it just happened in 2020. It started well before that. Um, Tennessee has until October 20th to respond. I believe they have 90 days once the letter is, is received. And then the uh, after Tennessee responds, the university responds to the NCAA's allegations, the NCAA has 60 days to respond, which would put us probably somewhere... Let's see, October 20th, November, it put us in December at that point. So probably either around bowl season or right after is when you might hear, um, you know, what the consequences for all of this are. Now, I personally don't think there's going to be much that comes out of this. Tennessee uh, went above and beyond dealing with the issues, dealing with the problems. They fired the coaches that were involved, especially the head coach, um, they put some sanctions in on themselves with scholarship reductions that Josh Heupel's actually having to deal with currently on his own. Um, but Tennessee was able to get around buying out Jeremy Pruitt's contract and all the other coaches with, as well. Um, you know, Rob Niedermeyer, his assistant coach, was one of the biggest ones. I thought it was interesting in these allegations that Jeremy Pruitt's wife, Casey Pruitt, actually was helping provide some of these payments to players. And a lot of this stuff, you know, it wasn't like they were going out and buying. I mean, they were actually trying to help players with rent, their families with rent, things like that. Um, But Casey Pruitt, Jeremy Pruitt's wife, is heavily involved in these allegations. And you can read them for yourself. They're online out there. Um, I believe that Casey, his wife, actually uh, paid $12,000 in cash and arranged for fishing trips and nail salon visits. Again, 
We got three wins out of all this. Remember that as I as I tell you this stuff. Um, the NCAA did send a 51-page document uh, to the school that outlined 18 separate allegations, and I'm reading this. Um, blatant recruiting misconduct from Pruitt and his staff beginning as early as September 2018, which would um been his 10th month on the job. Um, extended through the COVID-19 recruiting dead period of 2020. Every allegation against Tennessee is a level one, which, as I said earlier, is the most uh, the most high-level infractions on the NCAA scales. Um, in reading it and taking some notes, the most serious allegations, Pruitt and his staff hosted at least six prospects and their families on nine weekend unofficial visits during the year-long dead period during the China virus, providing them with lodging, meals, transportation, household goods, and even furniture that totaled around $12,000. Pruitt himself, Jeremy Pruitt, is charged with having made cash payments of $3,000 and $6,000 to two prospects' mothers, the first used to assist in medical bills and the other for her down payment on a vehicle. Again, we won three games in 2020. We barely made a bowl game in 2019. Here's the info about Casey Pruitt, Jeremy Pruitt's wife. She allegedly made payments of at least $13,000 to recruits and their families. Pruitt's wife uh, in the past worked for the NCAA Rules and Compliance Department at Troy University and her alma mater at Florida State. Here's my take on this. Tennessee, as I said earlier, went above and beyond under the leadership of Chancellor Plowman, um, and even to some respects, um, new athletics director uh, Danny White. But mainly um, under the old regime, you got um, good, solid leadership and a good response from the university. I think it's just going to end up being a slap on the hand to the university and to the football program. And I, I hope what my hope is is that Jeremy Pruitt and the others involved aren't allowed to coach again, or at least for a long period of time in college football. They didn't go to the pros or high school, whatever. But they're the ones that need to be punished, not the current staff, not the current players, not the fan base, not the current athletics department. They had nothing to do with this. We cleaned house. We swept them clean, put them out into the streets, case closed. But you never know with the NCAA who's as uh, corrupt and asinine as they come. But we'll continue to watch this. Uh, probably won't have much info for the next three months on that since uh, Tennessee has 90 days to respond. I'm assuming they'll use most of that time to gather their facts and put a, put a good solid response together. Um, one question I had for the guys, obviously they're not here as we move away from NCAA allegations was I was going to pose these two questions and since they're not here I'll answer mine and we'll get their info if they ever come back on the show um two questions what are you most looking forward to in 2022 for UT football and in college football second question besides Georgia and Alabama what is UT's toughest game in 2022 first question what am I looking for forward to in 2022 with UT football. I'm looking to see how they respond to the success they had last season. They went 7-6, and six, went to a bowl game. I think most people had us winning five or six games. 
I had us winning five. Um, they played above their heads a lot of times, but Josh Heupel, I think, did a nice job, especially on the offensive side of the football, which Tennessee was abysmal in the 2020 season, um, but did a fantastic job in that area. But I'm looking to see how they respond to the success they had last year. Can they take another step? I'm not saying can they win the SEC East this year. I'm saying can they win – can they beat a Florida can they win eight, nine, maybe even ten games? Big Montana and I have talked about it on this show before. I think the floor for Tennessee this year is probably eight wins. Seven, maybe. But I think eight is probably the floor. But what I'm looking forward to is how they respond. Can they take a step and beat a Florida? Can they go on the road and beat a LSU who could be down this year with all the changes they've had. Florida has had a lot of changes. That program could be down. Can Tennessee take advantage and pick up a couple wins there? Tennessee needs to beat Florida at home if they want to take that next step. That is a game they need to win. And I think the team, and especially us fans, expect them to win. And we're going to go into that game, especially if we go beat Ball State, go to Pittsburgh and win that game, which will be a big test early on, and then come back home and beat Akron, you're going into the Florida game 3-0, probably going to be a mid-afternoon night game. Tennessee needs to win that game, but that's what I'm looking for this year. Can Hendon Hooker and the Vols build on the success they had last year and take that next step, which I'm not saying is win the SEC East. Maybe that's next year if they can do what they need to do this year. But can they take that next step? Can they win 8, 9, 10 games? go to a little bit better bowl game and beat some teams that maybe they're not supposed to or they haven't beat in a long time. Second question, and besides Georgia and Alabama, what's UT's toughest game in 2022? And I've went back and forth on this. I've tossed and turned at night, lost sleep over it, not really. I went back and forth between three games, the Pittsburgh game, the Florida game, and the LSU game. And the reason I say the LSU game is it's in Death Valley, hopefully, at night, because I'm going. And I think there's a bunch of people going with us, and we'll talk about this if we have more episodes as the summer goes on. I've counted at least 15 to 20 in my crew that's going from the Knoxville, East Tennessee area. Uh, But there's going to be a big presence down in Baton Rouge for this game. I know a ton of all fans are going to be there. It's going to be at night, and I hope it is at night for all those people going to witness a game at night in Death Valley. I saw that last year uh, when Auburn visited LSU, and I went down to that game. But that that's a tough game. The Florida game is a tough game for the simple fact that we've only beat them one time since 2004, and that was in 2016 at home. Uh, when we fell behind, I think 21 to three, and ended up winning that game, 38-28, behind a offensive explosion in the second half from Dobbs, Hurd, Malone, Kamara, all those guys. But can Tennessee get over that hump? That's going to be a tough test for Tennessee because they just it, it's it's in their heads. It's in my head. I don't. I go into that game expecting to lose, unfortunately. And I'm not normally like that. I, I'm, Even though I'm negative niece, I usually go into a game, I've talked myself into being optimistic by the time we're ready to kick off. 
I think the Pittsburgh game could be tough too because it's Tennessee's first road game of the year. I don't really know. I haven't looked into Pittsburgh a whole lot yet, and I will be making the trip up there this year. T Money, Thomas Reigns, Patrick Keck making the trek with me. The trip has shrunk from about eight. A lot of things came up, but the trip has shrunk from about eight guys to now three making the trek up to Pittsburgh. But um, we'll see how um, how it plays out. I, I don't know. I think I'm going to wait and answer the question. I think if I had to answer it tonight, I would say probably Florida is going to be the toughest game just from the mindset part of it where – Tennessee's had a lot of trouble getting over that hump of Florida, Alabama, and even Georgia to some extent the last decade, decade and a half, especially Alabama and Florida. I mean, the last time Tennessee beat Alabama was 2006. Uh, The last time Tennessee beat Florida was 2016, and the last time before that was 2004. It's been a long, long, long dry spell against those two programs and just a very little success against Georgia in that time period. We beat Georgia in 2006, 2007, 2009, and then didn't beat them again until 2015. Of course, beat them in 2016 on the Hail Mary and have not beat them since, not even come close. You know, last year was the best we'd played against them besides 2020's first half. But um, if I had to answer tonight, and I'll probably think about it some more if we get the guys back on, but I would say Florida is the toughest test for Tennessee right now just to get over that hump. Um, I would say the second toughest game is probably going to be LSU just from a standpoint of the, an atmosphere standpoint. Loud crowd, night game, Saturday night in Baton Rouge. That is a tough place to play. But I think if Tennessee can get off to a good start this year, they have a legitimate shot of being undefeated. I hate to say this. They have a legitimate shot of being undefeated going to LSU this year. Can you imagine that? And I don't want to get ahead of myself here, but um, absolutely incredible. Um, was going to have a recruiting update. Don't have any info on that. I pushed that to Day Day Vol and Gavin, and obviously they're not here. So we'll have a recruiting update. Don't think there's much news in that area anyways. Um, but we'll get a recruiting update somewhere down the road uh cubs braves update since there's no braves fans uh on this show this week uh forget them no braves update but the cubs the cubbies have won six in a row as of recording this podcast they they've won five in a row since the all-star break they've won six in a row overall as they won on the sunday before the all-star break they are in san francisco facing off against the struggling Giants, who I believe have lost seven in a row coming into tonight's game. But this is Thursday night. Um, Cubs have won six in a row, and they are still at 40-57. and 57. 14 games out of first in the Central, 10.5 out of the wild card race. That's how bad it's been on the north side this year. Um, it could get worse, trade deadlines approaching, Wilson Contreras, Cubs, multiple-time all-star catcher, one of the last links to the 2016 World Series team on the trading block, probably going to be gone. Uh, Ian Happ, who's kind of come into his own over the last – I didn't know about him. Um, 
but he's kind of come into his own over the past couple of seasons. Had a really good year. Made the All Star team this year, batting around uh, 300. Had a, has had a good season. He's probably on the trading block. Not sure if there's anybody else, but um, I'm hoping to go to one, two, or three. Cubs games when I'm in Chirac here in a few weeks. They're hosting the Brewers that weekend, all-day games. So um, we'll see. Got to see how things work out on that end. But that's a Cubs update. I know there's probably no Cubs fans listening to this show. Um, Did watch the Braves over the weekend. They were on locally. Um, They're still battling the Mets. And, uh, of course, I think they're solidly going to be in the playoffs there in the wild-card race. But – that's a Major League Baseball update for all you baseball fans out there. Um, one thing I wanted to bring up really quick, too. We had this discussion on our golf trip a few weeks ago. We, 20 of us went to Fairfield Glade. And we always, every time we're on this trip, have a, a debate that comes up either on Thursday or Friday night at some point. And sometimes it can get heated. A few years ago, we had... Three different groups of discussion break off from this one group, and we had brothers nose to nose. I was involved in a three-way fight with Chad Grubb, listener of the show. Not a fight, a verbal fight. And then there was another conversation broke out over here at the end. It got a little heated, and it was about Philip Fulmer and Tennessee Vols, and they were comparing them to the, to the 90s Braves. Both left a lot on the table. The Braves were in how many World Series and only won one. Of course, they ran into the Yankees a lot. Um, but think about how many World Series the Braves went to in the 90s and only came up with one. And the same could be said about Tennessee to some aspects. In the mid to late 90s, Tennessee was one of the most dominant football programs in the country. I think you could say Nebraska was up there, Michigan, Tennessee, Florida. There was really nobody else out west that contended but Tennessee Michigan Nebraska and Florida were probably the four best programs from in the 90s Tennessee's run came I mean Tennessee had a very solid 90s program I think they won over 100 games as a football program in the 90s but think about Tennessee from 1995 to 1999 in 1995 Peyton Manning's sophomore year, they went 11-1. Their only loss was to Florida, which they led at halftime. I, th- I think it was 30-21 to 21 at halftime, and they lost 62-37. to 37. So they had one bad half of football in that entire season. They beat Ohio State in the Citrus Bowl, who had Eddie George, Orlando Pace, and Terry Glenn, Mike Vrabel, on those teams. They went 11-1 and that year. Didn't win the SEC championship. Didn't win a national championship. Didn't even play for a national championship. That's how tough it was back then to even get in the title game. And, of course, Tennessee lost to Florida, who was the other one of the top four dominant programs in the 90s. Move on to 96. Tennessee loses two games. One they shouldn't have lost, but they lost to Florida and Memphis State. Still went 10-2, and won the Citrus Bowl again in Peyton Manning's junior year. Move on to 97, Peyton Manning's senior year. They go 11-2. and Lost to Florida again, but were able to, thanks to some Florida losses, were able to get to the SEC title game, defeated Auburn, ended up playing 
in the back then the Bowl Alliance National Championship game, and there was an outside shot if Tennessee won that game that they would have won the national title if they would have beaten Nebraska, and Michigan would have lost in the Rose Bowl to, I believe it was Washington State, Tennessee would have uh, won the national title. Now, Tennessee wasn't going to beat Nebraska, even with Peyton Manning. Nebraska was a powerhouse that year, and Tennessee was physically overmatched in that game. Peyton Manning was also injured that game. But Tennessee went 11-2 and that year. SEC champions played in the Orange Bowl, which was the de facto Bowl Alliance national championship game. Move on to 98. We all know what happened there. 13-0, and SEC champions, national champions, beat Florida, got that monkey off their back. Move on to 99. Tennessee loses two games. They lost to Florida again. And they end up going to Arkansas and losing in what was a revenge game for the Razorbacks. And Tennessee led a lot of that game and ended up choking that game away, but went 10-2 and again. Went to the Fiesta Bowl, lost to Nebraska again. But you're just you're talking about one loss in '95, two in '96, two in '97, none in '98, and two in '99. So in five years, they had seven losses, won one national title and two SEC titles. That's a pretty good run. Could they have won more? I think if there was a playoff in 95, Tennessee would have been in the playoffs. I think if there was a playoff in 97, Tennessee would have been in the playoffs. Who would they have played? I don't know. Probably Nebraska again, so probably not winning that one. Obviously, they would have been in in 98. If there was a playoff in 99, they don't think they would have been in, but it would have been close. But you could say those two programs mirrored each other the Braves in the 90s and the Vols in the mid to late 90s but what I'm what I was getting to is Chad Grubb brought up the fact that in his eyes Derek Jeter is an overrated player and boy did it get the group fired up we were eating at the Mexican restaurant El Cancun which we visit quite often there at the Fairfield Glade exit we've given a lot of money to those those fine people over the years but he brought it up there and it got the juices flowing. Somehow, Chipper Jones got brought into the equation, which they're two totally different players. But Grubbs' argument was Derek Jeter was not a good defensive player. I brought up the question, and we'll talk about this on another show when I have a panel on here to discuss it with. I brought up the question is, why is Todd Helton not a Hall of Famer? Todd Helton, former Vol, Played for the Colorado Rockies. Had a uh, long career with those guys. And looking at the stats, look at Derek Jeter's stats. He had 3,465 hits, 260 home runs, a career 310 batting average. His wins above replacement was 71.3. Pretty good. Look at Todd Helton's stats. 2,519 hits. 369 home runs, a 316 career batting average. 61.8 war. He was a 1, 2, 3, 4, 5-time All-Star. He won two gold, three gold gloves, and four silver slugger awards. 
Now, I don't know his splits on the road. I think he gets a lot of the Coors Field stigma with him that he, he played half of his home games. Half of his games were played at home at Coors Field, which is a known slugger's ballpark. But think about that. Uh, players today, there there is no 316 career hitters. If there are, there's very few of them left. A 316 career hitter, 369 home runs, 1,406 RBIs. He had more home runs than Jeter, more RBIs than Jeter, a better batting average than Jeter, a better slugging percentage by over 100 points, a better on-base percentage than Jeter, a better OPS than Jeter, and a better OPS plus than Jeter. His numbers are better than Derek Jeter, but Derek Jeter has multiple World Series rings and has the jump throw from shortstop and has the play at Oakland in his bag. Todd Helton doesn't have that. But Todd Helton, I think, is one of those players that it's going to be debated, and he's not debated very much. He is around here, but... He's one of those players that, that's going to be debated is, you know, is he a Hall of Fame player? I personally think he is. Will he get in? Probably not. He may get in later on by the um, committee after you fall off the ballot, which I can't remember what they call that. But, um, you know, he had his biggest years home runs-wise. He hit 35 in 99, 42 in 2000, 49 in 2001, 30 in 2002, 33, 32, and then he starts falling off. And he had some injuries, back injuries. But he went on a stretch there from not from 1998 to 2005 where he didn't hit less than 20 home runs in a season. So something to think about if you're thinking about players out there, baseball players that should be in the Hall of Fame. I think Todd Helton's one of those guys. All right. That's this week's show. I want to before we go, before I get out of here, I want to give a shout out to a couple listeners. I've had some listeners reach out to me, say they want the show, they like the show, they need the show. First one, Owen Clift, my dog, Owen Clift, listen, new listener to the show. Shout out to Owen. Thanks for listening, Owen. Maybe we'll have you on the show one day. We'll have a, a G, PG or G rated version show, which you probably say this week's is is that. Also, Hunter Grubb. Shout out to Hunter Grubb, Chad Grubb's wife. She's a listener of the show. Huge fan, I've heard. Crazy. Our, our fan base is growing, but shout out Hunter Grubb. Hunter's one of the few people that gets my humor when I'm out and about uh, with my fans and the public. Um, so Hunter and I get along really well, BFFs, and glad that she's listening to the show. And um, maybe I'll have her on the show at some point. The way the show, the way it's going, I'm I'm gonna have to reach down and start getting people like her on the show because my co-host won't come on. But uh, appreciate everybody listening. Uh, looked at the stats before I started recording tonight. We had a huge uptick in our last episode a couple weeks ago. Um, actually, had a lot of listeners uh, just last week for some reason, even though we didn't record. But um, Appreciate everybody listening. We're going to try to keep doing this. Hopefully I can get Day-Day Ball, Gavin, Big Montana back in the fold. Um, if you see those guys or talk to them, um, really shame them. Shame them hard. This is ridiculous. We're getting to crunch time, people. 
We're less than 35 days till the start of Tennessee football. It's time to get serious. It's time to get your minds right. Big Montana, Day-Day Vol, and Gavin, their minds are wondering. They got too much going on. They need to be solely focused on Tennessee football, which is what I'm doing right now. And that's why I'm here for you all and for the people. So appreciate everybody listening. Remember, you can find us uh, anywhere you find podcasts. I'm not going to list them all because you can just Google Section YY8 Podcast and it'll pop up. Remember, we're also on YouTube. Uh, There's a video version of the show. There probably won't be a video or there won't be a video version this week because I'm not recording a video. I'm recording audio only since there's no one else on here. But uh, we'll post that as soon as possible and get that out to you guys. But appreciate everybody listening. Hopefully, we'll be back next week. Leave us a positive uh, review. Leave us some messages. Uh, Next week, I'm going to hopefully, or next episode, have a a mailbag episode where I answer your questions. So stay tuned to that. Uh, I'll post that on Twitter and on Facebook, so be on the lookout for that. But until that time, appreciate everybody listening, and this has been the Section YY8 Podcast. Ain't no smoky smoke up on Rocky Top, ain't no telephone bill. Once I had